tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap. Look out, boys. I've got a license to fly. I'm tired of sniffing glue. Mama, pack three sandwiches for me and send me on my way. I'll carry my home right in my hand. And easy listening music to drink beer by. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is this is Vinyl Tap. My name is Doug Cooper. I am joined in the Vinegaroon Saloon by PPT, Power of Pop Tony. Yeah, we're not really talking about a Power Pop album. Tonight, we're <laughs> we're off of the Power Pop reservation, and we uh, we're not talking about somebody who drones on endlessly either. JM, <laughs> we have we, Jonathan JM Rowe. Your cutting is picked short, Doug. You yeah, got to remember, yeah. there's an underlying annoying keyboard element as well to the <laughs> droning. And well, uh, hello, Tapsters. <laughs> Heavily uh, now you know why Jay is so uh, humble. We give him a lot to be humble about. I'm going to give the same warning I gave out last week when we did Transformer. I know that there's some dorks out there that think we're going to be talking about a character on Star Trek. I mean Star Wars called Commander Cody. Commando, I don't know which. No, one. He's Commander. He's Cody. Commander Cody. Like yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. And particularly dorks, we are not talking about any star thing like that. We are talking about a boogie-woogie, western swing, honky-tonk, Cosmic American pioneer. Yep. They're at the cutting edge of the whole deal. It's hard to not say yet. This is about as Americana as you can get in music, I would say. Well, we got a bunch of it all wrapped up here. Yep. Um, This... Is not a Jonathan J.M. Rowe pick. Surprisingly. This is not a Doug Cooper pick, although... It would have been. It's really close. I mean, anybody knows how I feel about Western Swing and uh, Austin Music would think so. This is a PPT uh, Tony pick, which is unusual um, because it isn't Power Pop, but it is in Tony's wheelhouse. If you'll recall, uh, we did The Birds, which was a... uh, a, a pick of Tony's, and we we know Tony is very fond of this kind of music. Tony, 
Right. I have a question for you. You going to name what album we're talking about? I'm sorry. <laughs> we are talking about <laughs> Commander Cody and his Lost Planet Airmen, their number one album, Lost in the Ozone. And I want to thank you for saying his Lost Planet Airmen because people say the, the Lost that, Planet That Airmen, ain't yeah. right. Yeah. That's not the way he thinks. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not at all <laughs> the way he thinks. Um Yes, ladies and gentlemen, and this is a Tony pick, and I have a question for Tony. Yeah, Doug. Tony, this is the first time we've gone into outer space <laughs> on any of these albums. Uh, no, I believe. Uh, oh, we had Ziggy. We had Boston with the space with the yeah. yeah the album, the cover goes into uh, space. E- I don't ELO. know. Yeah. They're, they're, don't they? they do Although space that album stuff. wasn't yeah. a space. That was that not was space a, yet. Yeah. That was uh, off a building and into the concrete. That's um, right. Um. The, uh, <laughs> so this is kind of our, our virgin episode into the uh, ozone outside. Out <laughs> yeah. to, past the ozone, actually. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you a space question. Oh, Lord. Okay. I want you to imagine. Got my eyes you're closed. lying down on the bank, staring up at the sky. Mm-hmm. And you look up and you see stars, and they form a constellation. There is one star that is brighter than the others. Mm-hmm. That is this band. What stars, what three stars are the closest in the constellation to this star? Wow. Are we talking bands or albums? We're talking bands or albums. My mind was on bands, but if you want to do an album, I think that's fine. Well, if I'm going to do albums, because I feel more comfortable doing that, I would say uh, um, American Beauty. When there is no pebble tossed, no wind to blow, reach out your hand. I would say, um, Gilded Palace of Sin. This old town filled with sin, it'll By the Flying Burrito Brothers. Yep. And let's see, a third album to pick off of this. Uh, I'm going to say Viva Trilingua. Okay. That's good. Good choices there. All right. Now I'm going to make you answer another difficult question. Great. Okay. If I put you in the grinder and force you to come up with a genre, mm-hmm. and you don't have to settle on one because that would be hard to do, where where would you put these guys? Well, I, I don't think that's that difficult at all because it's a genre that I think is broadly encompasses a lot of bands that were doing this kind of stuff, although not as well as this band did. And that's that, uh, that term that Graham Parsons came up with, which is cosmic American music. I think that's a perfect description for this. If you want to go something a little bit more mainstream, uh, 
it's country rock is wrong is the wrong term for this is not country rock even though people call it country rock it's well, not are you saying this doesn't remind you of the eagles <laughs> <laughs> i so, hear you don't hear one of these nights when you listen to so this album i'll tell you why i don't think this is country rock is because the eagles are a rock band who try to play country this ain't that Nope. This is these guys have a lot of rock and roll sensibilities, mainly from that '60s generation of rock and roll and '50s, because there's a lot of early '50s, mid '50s rock and roll in this band. Oh yeah, but they're a country band. Um, well, I'm gonna say something that okay. may be controversial. I think they like a whole bunch. Well, they of do kinds of music. They do, and I, mean, I don't. I think they they just say, "Hey, look at this! I like this." I I don't think that's that controversial because anything you read from the guys in this band talk about how many different types of music and influence they all came from different influences yeah. all and, over the country, and, and they yeah. they yeah. don't seem good at not liking a type of music. <laughs> uh, they like American music, right? Yeah. They like American music that spans, I'd say, from probably the early forties. Up until mid sixties. Well, I heard uh, the lead guitar player, the master of the Telecaster, say that he liked everything from forty five to seventy two. Yeah, which reminded that, me of someone. That's Bill, <laughs> oh, you. That's Bill Kirchin we're mentioning here, yeah. and Austinite, by yeah, the way. Yeah, which is yeah. why we're experts. Experts. Yeah. Right. So. The uh, so Tony, this is this is a. I'm going to declare this as an official fun album. Uh, you, you can't not declare yeah. it as that. And this you, is an album for a party. Yeah. And this is the kind of album you could put on at the party, and it could keep playing over and over again, and nobody would mind. Uh, yep. Nobody would... These these songs aren't going to grab your heart and uh, make you sit and ponder with your headphones on in your easy chair. But you're going to enjoy them nonstop as they keep playing on and on. So maybe you could tell us why James Computer's making all kinds of racket. Maybe you could tell us why you picked this record. Um, well, we kind of hit on some of the reasons why. This is this band, in my opinion, is one of the most unique bands around at the time that sort of hit this weird point in popular culture. Um, they so. They really did straddle both the sort of rock and roll mentality and this country mentality. We've talked about this before when we've talked about Austin in the early 70s and the hippies and the cowboys hanging out at the Armadillo and um, and enjoying the same music at the same time and getting along. You know, two, two groups that maybe outside of that environment might not, but just sitting there drinking beer and getting along. Uh, and this band, I think more than any other band, encompasses that. Uh, well, I've read quite a few people say that they paved the way. They made that, they brought that group together and created that f fan club that eventually was there when Willie and Waylon and uh, Jerry Jeff entered the scene. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think they, um, I think it's fairly well established that most people believe that Commander Cody and his Lost Planet Airmen were the groundwork for what Austin's music scene ended up being in the early 70s and probably towards the 80s. Uh, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that the the Commander Cody and his Lost Planet Airmen were the last band to play the final night at the Armadillo. They closed the place down. I think that 
That's mm. that's the lot. most appropriate thing that's yeah. ever happened in Austin. <laughs> yep. And I, I've got to say, I'm, I'm going to get personal here with ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I, we, Jam, can you add some violin music later? Yeah, a little I'll sad piano. <laughs> um, I grew up in Austin, walking up and down Guadalupe or the drag, drag. and they had the handbills and uh, posted everywhere for the Armadillo World headquarters, which was the mother of all music venues in Austin. And the one I remember more than any was Commander Cody was everywhere. And I thought, man, I love living in Austin where they have stuff like this. And um, I just associated him with the Armadillo World headquarters more than anyone else. And when I hear this music, I thought, this is the most Austin-sounding music I've ever heard. And this is going to remind me of Jerry Jeff Walker when there, there's that shock to your system when you find out Jerry Jeff Walker was from New York. It's from New York. York. <laughs> and we have the same thing here when we find out this band, it's not from anywhere, but they started up in Michigan, in Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor, Michigan, yeah. That... that feels a little weirder than saying they really kind of coalesced in San Francisco because I think that makes more sense because it does with the music you, you get yeah because at the time there was a, a mostly from the folk bluegrass scene but there was this sort of melding of different genres into trying to make something uniquely American yeah. for the time I mean you had the well, uh, Jefferson airplane you had um, Steve Miller band also from Texas, they right. migrated over to Texas, from Texas to uh, San Francisco. So that there migration was kind of... has switched around a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> the dead. Yeah. The dead yeah. was de- embraced that. Oh, yeah. New Riders was the Purple Sage. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and then down in L.A., you had other bands down there doing it. It, it was... Uh, it was a, that being said, even though there's all this going on, this really was a unique band. This is eight guys who, contrary to what a lot of them say publicly about how none of them knew their way around an instrument, knew their way they around their, their instruments. Way around instruments. Um, but there may be a time when that was true, but, they, but it got untrue. Yeah, yeah. you you hear George Frayne, a.k.a. Commander Cody, talk about his piano playing like it, like it was just something that people put up with. And then you listen to this album and you realize how full of you-know-what he was saying yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but and you know this, this something else that that bears um, comment is they these guys can't hide. They don't have distortion synthesizers right. layers. Right, right. This is um, I'll be surprised if this just one laid down in a couple of tracks with everybody in the same room. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I think that's really important about this band, and we've mentioned this with other bands before. I can't remember which ones off the top of my head, but this may be the most democratic band we've ever talked about in terms of yeah. what they everybody sang, everybody wrote, and I think a lot of that has to do with George Frayn's sort of upbringing and in his college life in in Michigan. And and the way and the politics that were going on in Ann Arbor when he was going to school, mm-hmm. and then that continuation when he when he goes to San Francisco, I didn't realize this, but I read this in doing the research that there was a, a lot of cross pollination between Ann Arbor and Berkeley. That they were both at the time the two of the top universities in the country, and they would go back and forth. So. Oddly enough, when Commander Cody started and, and his Lost Planet Airmen started getting kind of 
into the scene and getting a bit of popularity in San Francisco, there were a lot of Ann Arbor transplants that were already there that helped them out in a lot of ways. Yeah. So uh, it's just interesting because politically, both both places were very similar. I think someone's probably going to write in and say I'm nuts about this. I think Ann Arbor was probably slightly more radical. They were much more <laughs> militant about stuff than I think they were in Berkeley. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. John. Well, they had, in Berkeley, they were using flowers. Yeah. And in, in a town in Michigan, you're going to have. I mean, Ann Arbor's yeah. a suburb of Detroit. Yeah. You're yeah. going to have wrenches. But it's, and a, stuff. it's a beautiful place. I've been there lots of times. Yeah. But, and Berkeley. I've been to Berkeley a few times. Berkeley's but. not beautiful. No. <laughs> it looks like the. Yeah. Looks, it reminds me it of doesn't the look drag like Ann when Arbor. the drag used yeah. to look like hell. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, everything around it's pretty. It's just yeah. the stuff that the students touch that and it, turns ugly. You know, Commander Cody was... Sorry, Berkeley. An, uh, studied, you know, like a... is a common refrain. Yeah, he was a, he was a, common, he was a, a student of art, and he was special, uh, specifically visual art. And this comes into how I got to know him, or even heard of him, was there was a uh, that video... Uh, Two triple cheese side order of fries, which was kind of, I just thought that was one of the most weird videos I'd ever seen. They showed it on MTV, but it was actually, now it's in the uh, Museum of Modern Art Permanent Video Archive at in New York. Did he do that video? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. It is Well, he bizarre. does a lot of cool things with videos in his songs. Yeah. Or their songs. Yeah. Why don't you pull on over, buddy? You'll be glad. Out comes the waitress with the gorgeous big teeth. Right in her hands, your favorite treat. Two triple cheese side order of fries. Two triple cheese side order of fries. Two triple cheese side order of fries. Two triple cheese side order of Well, um, you want to tell us a little bit about the way this band got going, Tony? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm happy to do that. So as, as J.M. mentioned, or maybe you mentioned, Doug, I think it might have been you, that they that uh, it all started in Michigan to a certain extent. Um, the band formed in Ann Arbor, the, the band we're talking about, command, and uh, just set, set the record straight, we may go in and out of talking when we say commander cody as a person we mean george frayne he 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 was commander cody in the in the band we may go back and forth so please bear with us don't be too confused about that the other thing i want to say about the history before we get started is these guys are all a bit foggy in their memories about what <laughs> happened in the past so we're going to piece well, is that because of trauma or uh, I think the fog was both literal and figurative. I think there was a fog around the members of the band. But they went onward through the fog. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But we're going to try to piece this together the best we can tonight. Um, And I would like to say that whatever we come on the other end of, in terms of the This Is Vinyl Tap universe, that's the official record of Commander (laughs) Cody and his Lost Planet Airmen. If there's something divergent from that out there on on the online community, I apologize, but this was hard to hard to piece together because these guys are uh, were a little bit enjoying themselves. At the they time. spent some time in the ozone. They did, <laughs> yeah, they did. So as as I was saying, they started in Ann Arbor, but before that, um, George Frayne, aka Commander Cody, took piano lessons in high school on Long Island. 
He said that his mom, who he called a beatnik, was a college teacher, and she used to hang out in the village, and she found this piano player named Bob Nivey, who showed, he basically showed Frayne how to play blues progressions and how to make chords and how to do boogie-woogie, which will be very important later on. Uh, after high school, Frayne, as, as uh, J.M. mentioned, Frayne goes to study art and design at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And as I was mentioning, it's about 40 miles outside of Detroit. It was this cauldron of social change in the 60s, radical politics, courtesy of the Students for Democratic Society. John Sinclair, if you know anybody knows who he is, he was the founder of the White Panther Party. He was also the manager of the MC5. And he's, oh. he's the guy who got the MC5 to play the Democratic, 68 Democratic Convention, <laughs> uh, which they all... Th- probably looking back in hindsight think was was a big mistake but yeah. uh, anyway so john sinclair had a lot to do with the politics of that particular part of the world so when he's in college he ends up being part of a frat house band called the fabulous surfing beavers <laughs> and a guy in the band uh was named max goldman was the lead singer and by all accounts frayne says he was horrible but he was a lead singer because he had all the equipment, so they needed him to be in the band. Uh, he ends up meeting John Tichy, who I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name right. He was an engineer student also at uh, at uh, University of Michigan, and he's running the kitchen at this frat house and playing guitar in a student band called the Amblers. The two of them become pretty good friends, and because Frayne plays piano, Tichy invites him to jam along with his band. Uh Evidently, the Amblers wanted an organ player. So what George Frayne does is he goes out and he buys a Wurlitzer and joins the band. Their Amblers playing a Wurlitzer. Huh. So the Amblers end up breaking up because their lead singer dies in a car crash. And uh, Tichy ends up forming another band called the SSB or the Schwaben Stage Band. <laughs> that fall, Frayne and Tichy, you know, they're still hanging out. While, while they were in the band together... It's important to note that Tichy was a big influence on George Frayne. He was the guy who brought country music into their set list. He brought in songs like I've Got a Tiger by the Tail by Buck Owens and Family Bible, which we'll talk about later. Yep. It's also around this time of ages. that they meet a guy named Steve Davis, also known as the West Virginia Creeper. <laughs> Davis... Uh, who ends up playing pedal steel with the airmen later on, also attended University of Michigan. He was on an athletic scholarship. He was the one-time West Virginia trampoline champion. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know there was such thing as a trampoline champion. <laughs> there yeah. was either, yeah. He ends up, he's well, playing, be... <laughs> at the time he's playing bass with them when he's playing with them. Huh. Um, but he moved up. <laughs> he did. <laughs> One of the things I think it's important to mention is around 1966, in addition to all of Tichy's influence with country, uh, George Frayne says he discovered two things, Bob Wills and, oh. and marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> These are both while he's in grad school working towards his master yeah. in fine arts. Wait a minute. We're starting to get into some stuff here. Yeah. Um. Trap babies, it's time for a game of connection. Isn't that bass? 
All right. We're going to play a quick game of connections, and I do mean quick. This is super fast game of connections because, you know, JM, you know what? Somebody said that we were uh, covering albums that were too obvious. Too obvious, yeah. The the big monster albums everybody already knows about. Yeah. Um, you can't get I don't much think, more obscure. <laughs> I don't think we're doing that tonight. Nope. And that means our game of connection is probably going to be a little shorter than usual. Yep. Tony, do you have one? Uh, just the the easiest one, which is they they uh, sing a Willie Nelson song, "Family Bible," on this album. Yeah, we Family did. Bible. We did uh, "Redheaded Stranger" by Willie Nelson, and the album right after "Redheaded Stranger" had "Family Bible" on it, and it was uh, "Yesterday's Wine," another fantastic album. Yep. JM, do you have a connection tonight? I have absolutely none tonight. <laughs> I, I, I really don't. I, I, the closest I could get was "Family Bible," um, and for some reason. This is just an obscure fact. It's not a connection. Hoyt Axton actually produced their 1975 album, Tales from the Ozone. Oh. And did he produce what brought up Hoyt Axton? (laughs) There's no connection. That's just an obscure fact. Oh, that's a non-connection connection. connection connection. It's a nugget. Uh A nugget, as we say. What do you have, Doug? Well, I have uh, only one. It goes back to our rock pile and our... Uh, oh, Elvis that's Costello, right. That's right. and that's uh, Nick Lowe, um, the master of the Telecaster, found himself playing with Nick Lowe on some some uh, albums. Is that right? But Bill Kirchin did, Bill yeah. Bill Kirchin, yeah. 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 Which, in, when you hear him I, play guitar, it's not a mystery it, at all that it, he would be required. <laughs> well, and now that I think about it, there's n- outside of the music being a different format, what all those pub rock guys are doing and what the... I was going to ask you that question. Are very, it's very similar. I said that, there is this. Yeah, there's yeah. this transatlantic cable yeah. going yep. deep below the kelp that yep. nobody knows about it. It's almost like spooky action at a distance. Yeah, that uh, you've got the pub deal and this deal going on simultaneously, yeah. and and they're, they're mining the same sort of fertile ground. If they you know. are. It's they're, like quark they're, spinning. Yeah, they're brothers in. Uh, they're brothers from different. Uh, continents yeah which doesn't run <laughs> um I, I'll, I'll have i've got one more connection even though it's it's a l- very loose Tenuous one, and when, one. I, when i mentioned uh buck owens uh <laughs> there is out there in the ether in the ozone an episode of us where we talk about live albums and one of them we did was the buck owens live album and hopefully it'll see the light of day one of these days but uh it was it was picked up by uh by our competitors. <laughs> anyway, and Joe so, Rogan stole it from us. Yeah, yeah. there you go. And ev- anyway, uh, so he's uh, they're doing Buck Owens songs as well. Yeah. All right. Now back to the narrative. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, Tichi's in. Uh, um, I'm sorry. Frayne is in grad school, um, and he discovers Bob Wills, and he discovers marijuana. He also starts listening to a lot of Jerry Lee Lewis um, and Buck Owens' greatest hits. And he says, and this is, again, a lot of times he says stuff that are just kind of, I'm just, you know, he just throws these things out here. And he says the reason why he was attracted to country music is it afforded the guys he was playing with, they didn't have to rehearse. All they had to do was listen to the record, drink a bunch of whiskey and Coke, and play. Now, again, you listen to what they're doing on the album we're talking about tonight, and that's BS. But whatever. Um but, I, I guess he's saying that the chord progressions were not complicated. I get it. But these guys are going 
they're going above just following the tune. Right. Yeah. And and what and going back to the Virginia West Virginia Creeper is as as this band, as this, the Fabulous Serving Beavers started to play more and more country and get into swing and other stuff, he's inspired by not only the influence of these guys he's playing with, but he starts to get a little taste for it as well. And so he's he takes up the pedal steel. So that's where he transitions from the bass to the steel. Um, well, and then uh, Frayne, when he completes, as I said, he completes his undergraduate work. He he go he the future of the Beavers is up in the air. He gets an offer to go teach graduate school at the Rackham H Rackham School of Graduate Studies in Michigan. They offer him a scholarship, and he's also teaching there. Uh, Tichi also planned to attend graduate school at Michigan. Um, and so they start to talk about forming a new band. And this new band is the first iteration of Commander Cody and his Lost Planet Airmen. Now, do you guys know where the name came from? Well, I was just watching the show yeah. a little while ago. <laughs> it was one of my favorite shows when I was a kid in growing up in Mason, Texas, because that was one of the few things that would come on on uh like those three o'clock afternoon shows, syndicated shows, yeah. that they would have that little rascal. I can't and, believe that you weren't so busy with other things <laughs> in Mason, Texas. <laughs> Texas. Yeah, we had four channels, so it was. Yeah, we we would get the uh, San Antonio. Feed so what? What? Uh, what prompted the name Commander Cody? Well, I thought he was watching it on TV with his friends. Uh, well, he's he's actually when he. Uh, in between semesters over the summertime, he goes and he lifeguards back in Long Island, and he had this bright idea to start a lifeguard band. That's right. Again, I don't think they were very good, but they were trying to come up with a name. So he came up with three names. The first one was a band name that he thought of in college that he wanted to use called Smooth Dog and something or other. I forget what it he is. He was ahead of his time. Yeah, not Snoop Dogg, Smooth Dog. <laughs> Nobody liked that name. And then he noticed when they're sitting around, as you said, Doug, at this bar watching, there's a television set on. And uh, this man, this movie called The Lost Planet Airman with Commando Cody, which is what the character was called. <laughs> yeah. And he suggested... Ladies and gentlemen, we don't recommend Commando for any of our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> he, he suggests, why don't we call him Commander Cody and The Lost Planet Airman? Nobody liked that either. Uh and I forget what name, I couldn't find what the third name was, but they ended up going with whatever the third name was, I believe. <laughs> so he's got this Commander Cody name popped off in the back of his head. Yeah. Now, he's back in Michigan. This brings us to a very important member of the band, and we've mentioned him a couple of times. That's the master of the Telecaster, the king of Diesel Billy, Bill Kirchin. Yep. Bill Kirchin grew up in Ann Arbor. He... Began his musical career playing the trombone, and he continued to he play, the, play trombone the trombone. Yeah, I did on this album with with this band. He got into folk music in the middle of high school. He went to high school with Bob Seger. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I just was listening to uh, Mongrels right before y'all came over here. <laughs> it, uh, one of his first bands in high school was a band called Who Know the Who Know Pickers Jug Band, <laughs> and they performed at an Ann Arbor High School senior talent show. Also on the talent show was a drummer by the name of James Osterberg. Do we know who that was? Iggy Pop. He went to school with Iggy Pop as well. 
<laughs> Here comes all the connections yeah, now. Yeah, really. Yeah. So anyway, um, so at the time he's in, he's uh, when he's in, you know, the college at Ann Arbor or whatever. Um, the Amblers are going concerned, and Bill Curtin's in a psychedelic band, folk rock band called the Seventh Seal, and Ooh. and. Uh, John Sinclair, who I mentioned earlier, the MC5 manager, gets them a deal on ESP Disc label, and which was the home at the time of Sun Ra, and they turn it down. I don't know why. Bill Kirch in this day regrets doing it. He doesn't think they would have put anything down worth listening, but in terms of an archive, it thinks it would have been pretty cool. But they end up not making the record. So in 67, the Seven Seals playing a film festival at the art school in Ann Arbor. And there's a bunch. Here's another connection, I guess. There's a bunch of Andy Warhol people there dancing around, as he <laughs> says, dancing around in chains. They show weird movies. And George Frayn is there as an art student. Uh-huh. Uh, and he and John Titchy were starting to talk about this other band they were going to form. And uh, Kirchin is attracted by the fact that, as he puts it, these guys knew rock and roll inside and out and that Titchy sang Buck Owen songs, and Cody could play boogie-woogie piano. So he's keeping his eye on him. Seven Seal breaks up sometime in 68, and so he is looking for something to do, and he ends up hooking up with uh, with Frayn and Titchy and becomes another integral part of what's going to be Commander Cody and his Lost Planet Airmen. Another important part is Andy Stein, who was the fiddle player and the saxophone player. Yep. Frayn says that Andy, Andy literally fell into them. And the story goes that he and Steve Davis, the West Virginia creeper, were outside drinking beer when, according to him, here comes this real weird freak walking down the street with his violin case, and he's got a trench coat on. And so Frayn says, hey, do you know how to play that thing? And he says, sure, I can play. So they invite him to come down to a gig, and he shows up at the gig with a roast beef sandwich, <laughs> and he starts fiddling and playing and eating this roast beef fa- sandwich at the same time, and he stole the show, according to Frank. He's like, okay, we got to get this guy. <laughs> um, now, Andy Stein was originally from New York. He's a classically trained violinist uh, who also happened to like to play bluegrass and country fiddle and, as I mentioned, the tenor sax. And, and what's great about that is his ability to switch back and forth really gives this band once they get going a real kind of depth and flexibility that really shows on some of the live tracks. And you know what he went (laughs) on to play with? Mm -mm. Oh, uh, Prairie Home Companion. Companion. I did know that. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. Um, and so essentially this lost planet airmen are formed, um, and they start playing the kind of music these guys want to play. Now, the first incarnation of this band uh, wasn't really much more than just a bunch of musicians around Ann Arbor. This core group and then a bunch of other musicians around Ann Arbor sitting down and playing with them. But, of course, George Frayn is the in the titular role of Commander Cody. Um, this version also featured a lead vocalist by the name of the Marquis de Soul. <laughs> <laughs> And they had a drummer named Ralph Mallory who hated the fact that they were playing so much country music. In fact, the story goes that one night at the University of Michigan, Michigan Dental School formal ball, Mallory says, if you play any more country music, I'm going to pick up the drums and go home. So they launch into Family Bible and true to his word, he packs up his <laughs> drums and leaves. Also around this time, they hook up with Billy C. Farlow, a.k.a. he's also known as Billy C. Uh, he's born and raised in Decatur, Alabama. 
he ends he decides he wants to be what his fam, his family ends up moving up to Detroit in what he calls this is Billy C's name for it the hillbilly ghetto of Detroit. But you know he decided he wanted to be a singer, so he gets a guitar and he learns how to play a few chords. Um, and after they move to Detroit, he starts to hang out in these blues bars. He's he even jammed with uh, Big Joe Williams and John Lee Hooker at one point. Hmm. Uh, he starts his own band called Billy C and the Sunshine Band. They open for the MC5 for Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. They even open for Cream at the Grand Ballroom in Detroit on Cream's first American tour. So that's huh. kind of cool. Yeah. Anyway, when Frayne realizes the marquee to soul wasn't working out, he reaches out to Billy C and says, I, and convinces him to join. I don't know if he yeah. cons him into it or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny thinking about these guys playing in that environment. This is the environment that spawned the MC5. This is the environment that spawned Iggy and the Stooges, or the Stooges, I guess, not Iggy and the Stooges. Yeah. The Stooges. You imagine what they they must have stood out like a sore thumb. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah um eight guys on stage playing uh instruments that are not associated with punk yeah he said they uh, Fr frayne says they didn't appeal to anybody you yeah. know they were yeah. just having a good time playing what they wanted to you know mix a rock and roll various country tunes or whatever they yeah. opened for canned heat one time in detroit and the audience just booed them off the stage which is yeah. kind of a common thing they get booed off the stage a lot early on yeah um which is odd to think but mm. Anyway, so that makes him move eventually, right? Well, Frain is teaching still, and as he's 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 uh, he ends up getting a job teaching in Wisconsin in Oshkosh, and he's going back and forth on weekends to play uh, with the the band, and it, it's really you know a difficult thing to do. He's moving back and forth, um, and it wasn't really sustainable. Bill Kirchin decides. This is the first step. He decides he's going to leave. So he moves to California. Uh, Frayn still plays with what's left going on, but he's not sure. He essentially just starts teaching full-time. Titchy looks to a graduate degree in, philic, in, I'm sorry, in physics. Um, <laughs> what was that other word? Philics? In philics. <laughs> um, Billy C., who was also looking for stuff to do, sitting in occasionally with the James Cotton band when they're oh, wow. when they're touring and mm -hmm. coming to Detroit and he becomes friends with the drummer Sam Lay and during this time Lay decides he's going to quit Cotton's band and form his own band in 68 so Billy G C Billy C joins them on the road Lay's band ends up calling it quits while they're out on the west coast and so Billy and Kirchin hook up together and they form a band called the Ozones and they get a regular spot at a place called Harris's Town Pump which is a hillbilly bar down on mission street in san francisco huh so here's the story i asked you guys if you knew how bill kirchin got his telecaster and you said what'd you say doug no i i thought he might be the guy that broke into this place and stole it but <laughs> I, I see now in a picture it's not the same blonde telecaster <laughs> well he was a gibson guy for a long time but while he was out in san francisco he fell in love with um don rich and james burton 
They both oh, play yeah. tellies. So yeah. he was looking to play a telly. He's on the bus one day with this red Gibson SG that he bought from $100 for $100 from John Titchy. And there's a guy sitting next to him with his Telecaster. This guy wants to trade him outright because this guy had... <laughs> Just seen the Who. And Pete, and Pete Townsend was busy smashing SGs, SGs on stage, yeah. and so it was. They he just traded him even for this Telecaster, and the rest, is, as they say, is history. Well, um, I think he ended up with the right guitar. Yeah, I agree. In June of 1969, this group of guys play really for the first time, and they're still known as the as the Ozones at that point. It's George Frayn on piano, Bill Kirchin, lead guitar and vocals, Billy C. Farlow, vocals, harmonica, John Tichy, guitar vocals. And they play this place called the Town Pump in, uh, in San Francisco. So throughout the summer of 69, they're putting together the West Coast version of Commander Cody and his Lost Planet Airmen. The band finds a house in Evanville, a tiny town in the in the bay near Oakland. Becomes a band house or, or what they call Ozone West. <laughs> they even play outside, and when they do that, Cody grabs a frame. Cody grabs a um, accordion so they can play outside. So, just to give you an idea about the talent of this band, and I know I've talked about it a bunch because they're kind of self-deprecating. Is Andy Stein ends up while he's waiting for the airmen to start getting regular gigs once they form the airmen. Uh, he's playing in a band called high country, which is one of Berkeley's best known bluegrass yeah. bands at the time. So by mid summer of that year, they are known as commander Cody and his lost planet airmen. And this is Billy C. Farlow on vocals, Bill Kirch and lead guitar, uh, John Tichy on rhythm guitar, the West Virginia Creeper on pedal steel, Andy Stein on fiddle, Command George Commander Cody Frayn on piano, Lance Dickerson on drums, and a guy named Gene Tortora on bass. So they're not quite the band we're going to see on this album, but they're close. Yeah. Lance Dickerson had been the drummer for Charlie Musselwhite. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. And uh, you, you want to say who Charlie Musselwhite was, Jam? He was just like kind of a bluesman, harmonica player. Right. uh Played with a lot of people, um, Dylan. Even you know, <laughs> when you hear good uh, harmonica solos, it's usually uh, Charles Mus- Musselwhite. Oh, it's not Dylan. Oh my yeah. goodness! <laughs> but he's uh, yeah, he was he was a, a very sought after harmonica player. Well, and and he he ends up meeting Billy C. Farlow when Billy C. was on tour with Sam Lay, and so when Musselwhite's band stopped playing. Uh, Billy C. asked Dickerson to join the the Airmen, and that's what happened. So yeah. the live debut of Commander Cody and his Lost Planet Airmen is at an audition night at the Berkeley at a Berkeley club called Mandrakes. Their first real exposure was being third on the bill behind the Grateful Dead and the New Riders of the Purple, Purple Sage, huh. which is a good group. Yeah. yeah, very appropriate grouping. Much better than Hendrix and the Monkees. Well, here, but here's the thing: in '69, you got to remember the Dead wasn't playing 
they weren't playing the stuff that was on Working Man's Dead. Oh, yeah, they were doing their psychedelic LSD. Ioxomoxoa, or however you say that. I mean, they hadn't quite gotten into it. It's a jam band. Yeah. No, I get you. Um, so then finally, uh, or not finally, but Bruce, Buffalo Bruce Barlow joins on bass. Mm-hmm. And this is around 1969. He was previously in Magic Sam's Blues Band, and he joins the, the airmen replacing the George Tortora guy. And now we are complete. We are, we are the band we're going to be talking about tonight. Yeah. Uh, that same month, Commander Cody and the airmen back Doug Kershaw at the Winterland, San Francisco, on the same Bill or Jefferson airplane and the Grateful Dead. So they played with the dead a lot. Um, yeah, they, I, that was a common thing. They Even in later years, they played with the open for the dead a lot. And we, we haven't talked about the Blues Brothers in a while, but I'm going to bring the ghost of the Blues Brothers up because as this band grew and more, more and more popular, people who came to see them at the Mandrake would throw their beer glasses up against the wall at the beginning <laughs> of their favorite tune. And, and the band encouraged people to do it before. It got so bad that the bar owner started adding new barware tab to the band's bill at the end of the night. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so like a fun, fun Yeah, fun they, be, they, they really, they become a very, very popular live band. They, they go back to Ann Arbor and play, they start playing like three nights gigs um they actually got an article in rolling stone uh before they before their album came out a pretty decent article talking about the popularity band and what they were doing at the time and uh you know it's it's pretty impressive they don't even have a record deal or a record out yet um but they end up eventually sending some tapes out they send a tape to paramount records and they land their first record deal yeah have we done anybody that's been on Paramount before? I don't know. I don't think. I don't believe so. I don't. I mean, that really jumped out at me. Who else has been on Paramount? I don't know. And that gets us to where we are tonight. Yeah, and as I said, uh, to the best of my ability, that is the history, of, early history of the band. Tony well, knows. if you'd like to disagree with Tony, we invite you to <laughs> write us at www i felt like i should have i mean not that he would have talked to me but the guy lives in town i should have just sat down with bill kirchin and had a beer with him he might he seems like he's not a snob at all yeah seemed like the nicest kind of guy i've seen him play uh, many times he's amazing well that's on my list of goals right now yeah well at this time i'd like to discuss uh which movie's best King of the Rocket Men, Radar Men from the Moon, or Zombies from Stratosphere? <laughs> zombies from Stratosphere. Okay. Yeah. Well, since that's taken care like of, let's go ahead and jump the- into this album. All righty. Uh, PPT, yeah. uh, we're starting on side A with Back to Tennessee. I was living up in Detroit, just me and my little wife. Well, I did anything that I could do. Well, T, I think we've already all been there before when we get to that point where we just can't sniff glue anymore. <laughs> well, and we uh, want to hijack a plane. So that's the, the, the point to make about this band is they were a traditional 
I mean, the music they approached was very traditional in the way they played it. The subject Lyrics, matter, not so much. Not yeah. always. Yeah, it's and like that's if, what, if the Texas Playboys were stoners, this would probably. Which, be, I think that's part of the charm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I this song is so funny because. You know, you got this guy who's so blustering. He's talking about how he's not going to take it anymore, even to the point where he's going to hijack a plane. Yeah. And it's all just talk. Yeah. It's all talk. He's not doing He's just, it's like one more. You look at me one more way. You get yeah. just like yeah. one. Everything he keeps giving is, her more chances. She's cheating on him. She's treating him yeah. like crap. He's just like, he's getting angry and angry, but he's not going to do a damn thing about it. <laughs> he's thinking about hijacking a plane. But he yeah, ain't gonna yeah. do it. Uh, what would you call this? A, a boogie woogie blues I would, yeah, number? Yeah, I was about to say, it's a, boogie, it's a great boogie woogie song. It's a, all uh, these songs I can see people dancing to. And all of these songs I can see being performed in a bar. Or This is, uh, this is really part of the, the deal that we're talking about tonight. Was we're talking about a live band that happens to make records. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and even though there's three live tracks on this album, I don't think they remotely come close to what it would have been like to see these guys live. Yeah. Like, to be in their presence, which my brother-in-law... His very first concert was to see these guys. Oh, he was a little kid; he doesn't even remember it. But oh, his sister man. drug him to it. Yeah. I've, I've been racking my brain trying to figure out of all these shows I went to, where there were a whole bunch of bands. Yeah, if this was one of them, and I wasn't paying attention because yeah. I, I, you know, they're just you'd be walking around and you're really looking at girls and yeah. not listening to music. Right. I just wonder. Uh, that's a long time ago, honey. Um, <laughs> well, that's a good taste of what they do. Well, it's it's a perfect it's a perfect intro. You got you got the Commander Cody George Frayne boogie woogie piano, which you know is going to be an important part of everything. It's a it's just a perfect song to start this album off. As, yeah. And right from the get go, with the sniff and glue line, and everything you know, you're in for something just slightly <laughs> off <laughs> you're, kilter, you're, right? This, this isn't going to be your bucko. It's not faded love. Yeah. yeah. This is the most Austin sounding music in my mind. I agree. I don't know if it hits other people that way. It hits it. Yeah. But I would have known. I would have thought they were from here. That must have been so profoundly influential in this town that everything I heard in my first 15 years of life, it just sounds like this. Well, I I think that's true. I mean, I I think even Marshall Ball and some of those people. Yeah. I think, I think the fact that they were sort of hand in hand with the armadillo which is where that all started yeah um i don't i i wish i'd looked this up and i apologize that i didn't i wish i'd known how many times they played there i wonder if that anybody knows yeah, yeah. yeah. i wonder if, i don't think that crowd was big record keepers <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of records and yeah. the armadillo <laughs> i found out this is amazing after the astrodome the Armadillo was the largest consumer of Lone Star beer in the state of Texas. Wow. <laughs> I mean, think and, about that. That's amazing. Uh, that's a lot. And that's back in Lone Star's heyday. Yeah. And, you know, that's another thing I just thought of is the way Lone Star brought together the hippies and the cowboys, yeah. just like everything else we're uh, talking about. Yeah. People like to pan that beer now that all the snob beers are out, but it's still one yeah, of my and favorites. A, and the thing, you, nothing you know, better is, than Ice Cold Lone Star. When you see this band, when it's 105 like today, when you see this band, they don't look like they're not wearing, you know, bolo ties and and (laughs) (laughs) they don't have nice haircuts or anything. Damn, they're called hippies. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about hippies tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we are. 
They're well, going they're, to Dirty Martin's to get a hamburger, and then yeah. they're going to go to the show. You know who, who, when you asked me the question about the stars, you know who I, I neglected to mention who probably deserves to be part of that, con- just that part of conversation is Doug Somm. Mm-hmm. He's very mm-hmm. much oh, yeah. also a part of this kind of melding of stuff. And, yeah. And uh, the hippie slash... A great melder so himself. So, yeah, there yeah. These, there's these groups that you hear about, like Country Joe, McDonald, and the Fish, and Doug Somm, where they, they're very influential, but you don't know anything about them. That's kind of like what Commander Cody is for me. Like, I've, I've always known that he was very influential, but I didn't know before listening to this album how fantastic he is. What's well, that problem that we come after these guys and we yeah. don't hear what was there before and how they changed it because they influenced so many people that you, you can't tell that anymore. We've talked about the um, Tyler Mahan Co. Cocaine's and Rhinestones podcast in the past. He's got an episode on... Love is in the air. It's got an episode on the song Crazy Arms and how that song changed oh, country music song. because oh, of the way yeah. the, sh- the shuffle tune prior to that was on the bass hit on every other beat. And then for that song, they couldn't get it right, so they hit it on every, every beat. beat. Yeah. Crazy arms that reach to hold somebody new. For my yearning heart keeps saying you're not mine. Every beat, yep. the song we're about to talk about, Wine Do Your Stuff, is a Ray Shuffle, is a Ray Price Shuffle. It hits the bass on every beat. So it's just, you know, that, I didn't song, know that. that song, Yeah, if you listen to it, that song was, is Wine Do Your Stuff yeah. is the, the type of shuffle it is because of that Crazy Arms uh, song. No, James, let's listen to that nice tune. Nice tune. <laughs> That is a fine song, and I'm glad you said that about the uh, crazy arms because I didn't make that connection till just now. And uh, it's it's an amazing. I I mean, this is a song that every time I want to hear it, I want to grab my wife and dance. It is. It's it's it is. I I don't even like dancing, and that makes me want to dance. That's a very uh, fantastic song. And there's two things in particular about this song I love. Number one is the steel, which is just... Yeah. Uh, you like steel work. guitar. I love steel guitar. Mm. And I've mentioned this before. I'm a sucker for a country song that says the word fool in it. I think <laughs> I wish that was a word that was used in popular music and popular culture more. Yeah, I think Mr. T wore everyone out yeah. on the word fool. But uh, yeah. I, lo- I love I love that, that concept of... I, I have a question for you guys, though. So this is, um, this is a uh, what we would call a, in modern vernacular... A country music, um, I don't know, what would Shuffle? you say, meme? This oh. idea of wine being the the substance that you drink to forget your troubles. Yeah. 
it, it's weird. There's a ton of country songs. That I think it's because it rhymes. You think yeah, so? Yeah, I think it's, it's easier than beer. Than beer. Like whiskey and rye? Yeah. Okay. Whiskey doesn't rhyme, but rye does. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. Um, Anyway, I just, I've always found that interesting. Some of my favorite songs are those wine songs. Yesterday's wine. Wine me up. I love that song. And I love that, that, that line in it where he calls it scarlet water. I just think that's great. (laughs) Um, Which is harder to rhyme. Yeah. (laughs) Boy, boy in the fiddle in this song is just amazing. It's got that uh, twin fiddle. It's hard. It's all of these songs make me think I should be at the Broken Spoke or over here at uh, exactly That's Jenny's a- Little Longhorn. Well, Tony, what comes next on this record? Well, what comes next on this record is, in my opinion, one of the two cornerstones of the heart and soul of this album, and that's Seeds and Stems. And who's singing this one? Bill Kirchin. Bill Kirchin. A bottle of wine. I got no place to go Well, I saw your other man today He was wearing my brand new shoes And I'm down to seeds and stems again, too So, I've been listening to this And uh, I, I gather he's a gardener uh, <laughs> yeah, he's a gardener, all right. Don't uh, be fooled, ladies and gentlemen. Weed, pot, junk. The kids have all kinds of names for it. <laughs> but this is a marijuana song. This song is perfect. Everything about this song is perfect. This is a wonderful song. Um, it, it, it seems like... if. If Graham Parsons had a little bit more of a sense of humor, he could have written this song. Uh, he he would have been pleased to call it his own. And it's about as close to a sad song as you're going to get from this band. Well, I don't know. The The first three songs, at least subject matter-wise, are pretty sad. You got the first one where the guy's <laughs> wife is cheating on him. The second one where he's got to get so drunk that he forgets what's going on. Yeah, but on. this one with the, the dog but can we, guys. We've got the, to be frank about something about this album yeah these aren't real feelings oh, yeah <laughs> like these not. guys well, are right they're appreciating a genre you're right and they're you're dancing right. around that, it and they're not taking themselves seriously they're not, and they're not right. taking the song seriously that right. that being said bill kirchin has it sounds way more earnest than he has any right to it how yeah old you're he right was it's on this so song. well and he he, he looks Ernest. Yeah. yeah. He looks like someone who truly regrets the fact that he's down to season well, stuff. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that. So the word I was looking for when I said mame earlier was trope, country music trope. Yeah. This has all of those. You got this is that typical everything's gone wrong. Everything's gone yeah. wrong. But the and it doesn't it that's not ch- a drop in the bucket yeah. compared to <laughs> the cherry on the the cherry on the, the Sunday. What we're really talking about Sunday here is that he's He's out. He's out of buds. He's just <laughs> down to seeds and stems. <laughs> That's like, yeah, he's missing everything. But what, just to make matters worse, he's looking at his it's bag. Like, it is nothing but seeds and stems. That's that's the thing that keeps coming up. 
I, I just a couple of things musically about this is the, the piano intro on this song. Yeah, is, uh, it, it caught me right away. It's just so it's classic, so classic. And and then it leans into the steel, which plays throughout. And this is, I think, just the, the saddest first. Out it. it is one of the first of I think a couple of songs, but they're few and far between. Where Billy C plays the harmonica on it, and it sounds great. Yeah, the fiddle so- solo during the bridge. And then the spoken word stuff make this song really <laughs> something special. I, this song is perfect. There's not a single thing. I, there's wrong nothing with this I would change about nothing. this song at it's, all. It's so interesting how well they all go together. Yeah, yeah. And 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 we've talked about this. I think we talked about this about uh, on the American Beauty album. We're dealing with a band in terms of its democracy has what five, four, four lead, five lead singers, right? Yeah, four. I, I counted up five on five. one album. I think it was this one. Yeah, so that tells you a whole lot. Uh, yeah. Five out of eight are taking taking vocals. So, well, we're gonna uh, move on to track number four. Daddy's gonna treat you right. Don't you? I was a little slow on that because I was getting into it. I love this song <laughs> so much. It starts off with that that twin fiddle. That's that kind of swampy Cajun fiddle. Going yeah, on, you yeah. Know? And yeah. Uh, it's just a great honky tonking song. It, you know, it's this album creates atmosphere that you want to linger in. Yeah. Well, and and I, I would like to say that we talked about the musicianship a lot. I think Billy C's vocals really sell this particular song. Oh, yeah. He's so great on this song. Yeah. You know, just really, you can feel, you can feel the swamp in his vocals. Well, you were talking about, um, you know, wanting to go to the broken spoke. When I hear this song, this is like, yeah, I, ladies and gentlemen, that is the oldest honky tonk in Austin, Texas. Not yeah. the oldest bar though. No. Not the oldest bar. Um, I don't know about bars. Um, but uh, it's it's the old thing. It's surrounded by condos now, but it's still hanging in there. Thank goodness. Yeah, right by Matt's famous El Rancho, which is still hanging in there as well. But anyway, it, it is a fantastic song, and it is a perfect two-stepping song with your with your gal. For our friends in Sweden, two-stepping yeah. is a style of dance popular in one, Texas. One step forward and two steps back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's it's the it's really the even though Doug blew the lid off of the whole these guys meaning what they're singing. This is the first song that's not about heartache. This is a guy who's yeah, promising promising the world to, to his, his lady to his lady friend. Yeah, heartache's coming later. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, up next is a Willie tune. That is right. Family Bible. Family Bible. You know this old world of ours? It's so full of trouble. But I think this old world would oh so better be. If we found more Bible. 
on the table And mother's singing Rock of Ages Left for me And uh, Willie Nelson Classic Willie Nelson Classic I, I don't know if these guys I, I have trouble picturing these guys Gathering around the table after a show <laughs> And reading through uh, Hebrews or uh, uh, Psalms. So this uh, this is the song that you know er, they played this song early on, even before they were. This is pre Commander Cody. Yeah. Um, this is a song John Tucci brought to them as part of their live sets, and they sang it with the Amblers. Um, and he that, sings it on this. He's the guy that sings it on this album. And and by the way, uh, yeah. they do sing it. It isn't spoken word. Yeah, the whole I'm time. sorry. I played that just because it's my favorite part of the song. I love mainly because JM uh, mimed it when it was going on. I love that fiddle kicking in and during the spoken word part. Yeah, it's just it's so just awesome. Trials and tribulations, <laughs> and you have just, that rapid fiddle coming. <laughs> well, and it's it's nice of Tony to play someone who can only talk, considering what JM's been delivering lately. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I get you. And, and this is the this is the one of the first times we really hear what what Fran can do in terms of honky tonk style piano on this song yeah, too, because he's yeah. really, you know, he's got he's that fill, kind of doing some great fills. Yeah, and, yeah, it's good um, stuff. I mean, it's just a. This is my new favorite rendition of the song. It is a. It's a good one. It's a great song, and it was a great. Um, I just even the spoken word part is so <laughs> appropriate. <laughs> it's, it's, it kinda, well, it's, it's it, a, it loses a little bit of its uh, sincerity, I guess, when they do that. But still, it's a well. It's but it's so perfect of what the, the song yeah. the song cries for that, right? Yeah. That, yeah. Well, does anybody want to guess which Sweethearts of the Rodeo song I'm reminded of? I like the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, but I don't think I don't think they're they're not quite as cynical. I don't think there's sober enough to be cynical but <laughs> it is uh i think this is when a, you compare this to willie's heartfelt version of it yeah but as i said this was a song they've been playing live for a long time mm-hmm. I, don't th- I don't think this was i think he just liked the songs we brought I, I i don't disagree with any of that but yeah. it is uh out of place in terms of content well we go from family bible to home in my hand So this has this has another country music trope I love, and that's referring to the Greyhound bus as a dog. I know. I love. I just <laughs> I love, love that. that. Hop yeah. on the dog's back. Yeah. You know? Well, this Ed brings up the fact that uh, this is also trucker music. That I was. Uh, that's exactly what I had here. Is it's it's a, it's a boogie blues, but it's got that trucker rhythm going to it. Well, you know? I thought that yeah, and that kind of talking they yeah, do on that, like yeah. they're on the CB. Yeah, yeah. no, it's definitely. Yeah. Uh, this was a this was um, originally recorded by Ronnie Self, who was a rockabilly artist. 
Uh, this is another Kirchin song. He's singing lead on this as well. Yeah. Um, but you're right, Doug. It's got and and this band embraced that trucker stuff later on. There were a lot of I think they did um uh Truck Driving Man, which is such a great song. Yeah. And a couple other trucking tunes. And of course, as we've mentioned, uh, Bill Kirchin's one of his nicknames of many is uh Diesel King of Diesel Billy. Yeah. <laughs> so they, uh <laughs> What's what's funny about this, we keep talking about the Armadillo World Headquarters, and we used to eat at the cafeteria that was right next to the Armadillo World Headquarters every Sunday after church. And there was uh, somebody that my age that went to church, so the parents would sit there and talk, and he'd want to get out and get on the CB, because that's when CBs were the real oh, big yeah, deal. That, that and he got internet. Breaker 1-9, and he, he'd be on that CB. What was the CB name? I don't remember that, but remember that it's it's just that convoy. period of time. That period of time, I, I, I don't think any. I don't think we have any fans young enough to not remember this yet. But maybe someday <laughs> we will. When when CB was just the country was obsessed. We had with a CB it. radio in my dad's Maverick. We had a CB <laughs> in my uh, my dad's uh, church's van and so for a while there my dad that was my dad's car for a while so yeah. we we all had handles what was your handle johnny buck i think was my jeez oh, I, I don't think i think i would have lied um <laughs> anyway uh what what cds went from 24 to 48 channels and then everybody dropped them like a hot potato yeah, yeah. well we're gonna f- flip this baby over that's a, well, that's a good song to kind of ease you out of that yeah. side. Yeah. You know? Get you up off the couch that's to flip right. it over. Breaker one nine, breaker one nine. We're going over to Sad B. Do you hear me, Teddy Bear? <laughs> and we're lost in the ozone. <laughs> Again. The neon lights will shine right downtown. There's a thousand swinging doors going to let you in. I'll tuck the kids in bed at 8 o'clock and Faded out right at the Bob Wills ah. <laughs> um, God, what a what a song! What a great what a song. song! This is the second pillar of the foundation of what makes this band so like stand out above all the rest of them. Yeah. All the bands we mentioned before, very talented guys, great musicians. They couldn't play this song. What uh, can anybody bring so many genres together so effortlessly? Yeah, it, I mean that's the thing. They just sound like they make them bleed into each other so yeah. perfectly. And yeah. we were the part that we were hearing was just that one five bass line, but the bass in this well, the song, bass is rocking the, in this song. Yeah, the yeah. bass goes nuts in this song, and it's very very good. And he still stays in the pocket, and um, yeah, it's just a fantastic, fun 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 song. It's and, it's a it's a um. It's a song that really showcases how great this band is. Yeah. It's also a song you don't want to take parenting advice from. <laughs> There's a line in it that says, now the neon, I think it might have been what I played, uh, but it says, uh, the neon lights are shining bright downtown. There's a thousand swinging doors going to let me in. I tuck the kids in bed. <laughs> Eight o'clock Eight. and then <laughs> gonna have for the ozone again. <laughs> so you know, you better hope those kids are <laughs> a lot sleepier than most kids are at eight. I mean, I think that one of the things that makes this album so 
genuine. I mean, yeah. you know, that, that, that is that they aren't. They're they're writing kind of tongue in cheek out of their genre, but at the same time, they have kind of lived some of this stuff. Well, you know, and they're I. I, I get the whole not taking themselves too seriously, which is definitely part of the charm of this of this album and these songs. But these guys are earnest in their love for what they're playing. Oh, they're, yeah. they're not playing yes. anything that's, that that's they. That's very that's true. No question about yeah. that. Yeah, and and they they're loving the kind of music that it would be better for them to love a different kind of music, but they can't help it. This yeah. is what they love, yeah. and, and they. You know, they're and they're talking about being stoned and being drunk and being just you know down. But the way that there's not a clink, what? there's not a bad note in any of this stuff. No, what's the uh, what's the formula? Is it one drink of wine and two drinks of gin? Is That's that right. is yeah, that what you yeah. get? Lo- how you get lost in the ozone? <laughs> <laughs> they may have left part of the the part of the recipe out. What? Can you can you tell? <laughs> Every time I hear this song, I think about your mom and the bumper sticker. Can you tell that story again? That's <laughs> just number mom. three. We're driving through Austin, and uh, my mom looks up in, to the car in front of us, and on its bumper is a Oat Willys bumper sticker. And that was a head shop. Oat Austin, Willys yeah. is a is a, the, a very famous uh, head shop, and they had this slogan that said, Onward Through the Fog. <laughs> and my mom goes, I just love that. I just... You may get knocked down, you get back up, and you just keep going through the fog. You may not know what's on the other side, but you just keep going. And finally, I had to say, Mom, that's a head shot. What's that? <laughs> they sell accoutrement. Um, I, yeah, I guess she wouldn't feel the a same way feathers, about. Yeah. yeah, she wouldn't feel the same way about the sentiment well, behind being well, lost we had in that the big, ozone, right? We had yeah. that big freeze where. We were all stuck. Nobody could go anywhere, and her her power was off. So I went over there to stay with her to make sure she was okay. So we listened to the Willie Nelson deal, and <laughs> I started telling that story with her voice. She's looking at me. And, How many people hear this? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> But yeah, every time every time the song would come on, I'd think of that story. It just <laughs> yeah. was so funny. That is hilarious. Well, we got something up next called The Midnight Shift. singing on this one, Tony? Buffalo Bruce Barlow. The bass sings on this? Well, I wonder why he doesn't sing more often. <laughs> yeah, he does I, a great you know, job. That's a rockabilly voice. Yeah, this was originally on a Buddy Holly album called the, the That'll Be The Day album in 1958. Um, here's my thing about this song. It's, I don't hate any songs on this album, but this song is in between Lost in the Ozone and Hot Rod Lincoln and uh, it seems I just want to get to. I either want to listen to when this song's on, I either want to listen to Lost in the Ozone again, or I want to get to Hot Rod Lincoln. I actually like this song. I, it, it's, I don't dislike this. Song. No, but I actually like the placement of it because it it. Um, well, now it's, now that you're 
now that I'm thinking about it, it could be a nice song after um, Family Bible or Seeds and Stems. But it sounds like a Gene Vincent kind of well, song. A, it's a rockabilly song, Yeah, right? it's a rockabilly song. It's got that... Uh, um, got a lot of echo and yeah, reverb echo well, and on the got, vocals. I mean, Bill Kirchin plays the hell out of the guitar on oh, this song. Oh, he does, yeah. And the piano is amazing yeah. on it. Um, but it, yeah, I could almost like Gene. I could almost see Elvis doing this song um, back in his back in his swinging days before he was in the um, before he ate too many fried banana peanut butter yeah. banana sandwiches. Thank yep. you very much. <laughs> well, when you get to Las Vegas with all those buffets. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to have a hit now, Tony. We're going to have a hit. This you is are uh, correct. This is a song I can remember hearing on KLBJ FM 93.7 a lot growing up. Hot Rod Lincoln. Have you heard the story of the hot rod race with the Fords and Lincolns were setting the pace? That story is true, I'm here to say, I was driving that Model A. It's got a Lincoln motor and it's really souped up that Model A. Body makes it look like a pup's got eight cylinders and uses them all. It's got overdrive, just won't stall. With a four-barrel car and a dual exhaust with four different gears, you can really get lost. Got safety tubes. Well, who sings this one, Tony? This is sung by Commander Cody himself. Yep. George he, Frame. To me, one of the songs, I just thought about this today when I was listening to it. This sounds like a trucker song, but like almost like a Red Scovine kind of thing. Or what's the song kind of, about the truck that's going down the hill and the guy can't stop it? Oh, yeah. Um, that's my dream. Give me 30 night. acres. Or something like that. Yeah. yeah. This is barreling down and yeah. heading forward to the town and they yeah. can't stop the truck. Yeah. Um, no, it's this. This is the third version of this song at, at the time. This is it was originally um, recorded by it was written by Charlie Ryan and it was originally recorded uh, by him in '55 and is an answer song to this song by Archie. See if I get his name right, Archie Shibley. He had a 1950 hit called Hot Rod Race, and so this was an answer song to that. That version hit number 29 um, in the U.S. Um, and then Johnny, Johnny Bond, who was a country singer, recorded a version in 1960. That version reached number 26 on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1960. This version hit number nine. This is their biggest hit. Really, their only, only yeah, hit. Yeah, really hit. Um, it's really a showcase in a lot of ways for Mr. Kirchin. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's he, what makes it interesting. And, and I've seen him play this song a couple of times live. And what he does towards the end of it is he plays it in different, different styles of other guitars. Like he'll do a Jimmy, Jimmy Hendrix version. He'll do it, yeah, <laughs> so he's like, he just kind of plays it out, uh, which is really cool. Um, uh, he the, still looks great, by the yeah, way. Yeah, he does. The, he looks like Nick Lowe. He does. He, he, does. he looks very Nick Lowe-y. He does. Um, he looks better than he did back in the yes, he early does. 70s. Yeah, he had kind of that, uh, he had that kind of... He looks um, like he just got slapped upside the head well, like he in like the 70s. Professor. yeah. But uh, they actually changed the lyrics to the original. The original version was a race between a Model A with a Lincoln motor and a Mercury, and then Commander Cody switched it, the Mercury, for a Cadillac. So... Yeah. Anyway, it's better, a better rivalry. It's a it's such a great song. It's a 
I, I like this song a lot, and I think it's the least like the other songs on the album of of any any of them, uh, which is not a criticism, but I think it fits though. It, I, I'm not saying it doesn't fit. I'm just saying yeah. it's it's stands out. I, I get that. It's it's. I, I'm amazed. It's at, a little stripped down compared I, to some I, of the. I'm others. amazed at the longevity of the song and the fact that it was such a big hit. It's it's it, and it and it wasn't just. I mean, not just a hit. You know, um, it was a it was a, a hit. It was a crossover hit. I mean, it was a hit. It was a Hot 100 hit. It was a crossover hit. It was on the country charts. I get the country charts, but it's it's interesting to me that this went all the way into the top ten in 1970. What two? I guess when it was mm-hmm. released as a single yeah. on the rock charts. You know, yep, it's great. I mean, a good more, more power to them. But it's yeah, just it sounds it's, like an AM hit, and, and it's also uh, a song you hear people cover quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, it, they do. In fact, it's been covered by I think I think George Thorogood and the Destroyers covered it. Oh, um, Pat Travers did it. Sleep at the Wheel. <laughs> Jim Varney. You know who Jim Varney is? No, can't say that. Dude. Ernest. Oh, really? Yeah, for the guy from Ernest Goes to Camp or whatever yeah. on the Beverly Hills soundtrack. And Les Claypool does a version of this, the bassist and lead singer uh, yeah. for Primus. Yeah. All right, Tony, that was great. <laughs> We're moving on now to What's the Matter Now? That's my, a live one, Tony. My brain no worky. Uh, yeah, What's the Matter Now? I think the last three tracks on this album are live, right? Yep, That's right. Yeah. Step the, out of the studio. This is the first one. I hear some Hank. I do too. That's exactly what I was thinking when I heard this the first time. Yeah, and the uh, pedal is, steel even sounds like a oh man, just a steel, how, like a lap steel. How good does that sound? <laughs> it does. I mean, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, it's great. And this is an original song. This I know. A, yeah, it's by the lead singer. Yeah, Billy C. Farlow. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's another great two-step and shuffle. And you're right; it's it's got it's just smothered in Hank. It is again another sort of genre, kind of just the blend they, so they easily. Have, they they have no trouble hopping back and forth no. all over this. It's amazing mm. that they can do this. Yeah. Uh, and it just... and what's the matter now is I <laughs> I know I know married men who have, have felt this. Oh yeah. I I, I, uh, I, I can't relate honey, to it myself, but, but uh, it's, I, I want some honey from the honeycomb. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. I I now that you mentioned that, Doug, I hadn't thought about that. But I was driving home today, and my wife called me on the phone, and I immediately thought, "What's, oh, the, what's matter? the matter now?" <laughs> <laughs> I, that's I tell my wife, I say, "Just pretend you're a boy and speak boy to me, because <laughs> I won't be able to figure it out. If you say nothing, and I have to ask a bunch of questions to figure out what's going on, just tell me, and I'll say I'm sorry, or I'll fix it, or I'll sit here and listen." But I don't make me try to figure it out. <laughs> honey from the honeycomb. Yep. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I just want some honey from the honeycomb. Well, that's a good tune. Yep. Uh, 
Fantastic. Do we need to say anything else about that? <laughs> no, nope. I don't think so. We got 20, uh, 20 Fat Rock. I know my baby too much to wait. All this drama is a huge down. If I'm a car straight, throw it around. I'm four, five, five, three, five, four, five, six, seven, five, eight, five, four. I'm four, three, four, five, four, five, four, five, 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 Am I the only one that's upset that we're listening to recording and we're not in the show? <laughs> I, I think it's fundamentally important to let our listeners know that that is the eight guys from this band playing that. They're not augmented by anybody. Nope. They do have the ozone brass, but that happens to be Stein on sax, Kirchin on trombone, and Billy C on trumpet. So those guys are switching from doing what they're doing to uh doing something else yeah doing something else yeah and kirchin's you know go, going from playing the trombone to playing the lead guitar on this song you know um it is uh it's these remarkable amazing yeah it's a rockabilly it's a standard rockabilly song that these guys turned into something completely different i mean they, it's they they gave it an extra level of energy yeah i mean it sounds like something I mean, it sounds like, uh, what would you call it, one of those jump jive songs yeah, from the 40s. Yeah. You see those guys leaning forward with their arms swinging around and yeah. their legs kicking up like they yeah. used to dance back in the I mean, day. I almost, when I when I heard it the first time, I, I just thought, man, it's just like Big Joe Turner, yeah. you know, the shake, rattle, and roll yeah. stuff, and or, or so, even Bill Bill Haley. A lot of energy. Yeah. Well, it's, um, I mean, one thing we hadn't really talked about um, but we can mention it here is that George Frain was, he loved that classic rock era of music. In fact, when he let, when this band broke up and he went out on his own, it's pretty much, he was almost in this, not quite to the extent of musicianship, but kind of that same realm of someone like, um, like, uh, Southside Johnny, he just embraced that old school rock and roll sound, and that's yeah. what he went for. Yeah, you know, and so that going back that a little co- further, I would say Southside Johnny would probably do a little bit more of the stacks, yeah. kind of sound, yeah. and he's a little bit more in the old school rockabilly. Little Richard, yeah, um, what was a piano player? That yeah. makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, but well, that's that's a lot of. Uh, I mean, again, we're jumping all over the place. It's like, uh-huh. it's like we're listening to a uh, a National Geographic American music, <laughs> and they're they're showing us different genres, and uh, these guys are nailing each one. Well, and this this band was very much in tune with that music of the first half of the twentieth century, yeah. you know, yeah. and and in particular, as I mentioned, George Frayn and what he was into, and the boogie boogie uh, woogie playing. Piano and the next song is a perfect example, just showcasing this band doing that boogie woogie piano style. It's yeah. it's uh, uh this next song. Are you talking about beat me, daddy? Beat eight me at, to the bar. Beat me, daddy. Eight to the bar. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Oh, 
Okay, again, um, I'm filled with regret at the fact we're sitting here and not out at the place where they're playing. And I'm I'm filled with regret that we're not playing the whole song because that is this it shows off all of these guys' abilities so well. There's a there's a bass solo in it. Yeah. Um, well, and the ozone horns around it again. Yeah, again, in, in yeah. addition with Billy C playing the harmonica too. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's one thirty, and everyone's going nuts. Yeah, yeah. And they're sad it's about to end, but this band is just on fire. How do you follow this song? No, what? What you if don't. they were the opener for you? Oh, my God. <laughs> well, and they were several times. <laughs> no, what uh, do you do? I said, That's I mean, never happening again. Uh, we're going to fire your it, manager. Yeah. I mean, you, you let you, these, these guys, guys open. open for the the psychedelic period of the dead. Can you imagine what that would have been <laughs> yeah, like? Yeah. You know, get the the crowd all you know going yeah. crazy, and then the dead comes out and does these long extended jams. Yeah, we have to get that Cosby, yeah. Steals, Nash and Young. Uh, Base thing that we have on Deja Vu to settle everybody down. Oh, man. <laughs> this was their second single on this album. It didn't, you know, didn't do what Hot Rod Lincoln did, but it did hit number 81. Yeah. Well, we have a musician in our uh, company here. What does eight to the bar mean, Jam? Is that eight beats to the measure? Uh, I think it means that they double time it. So but instead of one, two, three, four, it's one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. But everybody well, else if, stays uh, in the four. If if you're out there and uh, you want to correct us, please, please yeah, send please it, do that. Send it to Tony. <laughs> 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 Tell him to quit playing all those records everybody's already heard before. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tony, this was an absolute pleasure. I felt like I was uh, going down memory lane. Um, it's it. I I don't know if you grew up in Austin, how you could not have a special connection to this band, but appreciate you bringing it to us. Yeah, I just before we continue, I just want to do a little wrap up thing, and that's that. Um, this is the only album that the West Virginia Creeper plays steel on. He's not on any other Lost Planet Airman album. And when you try to figure out why he left, like everything else is a little hazy. But I did read an interview with George Frayne where he says that um, they were playing in Ann Arbor in 71 for five days. And the Creeper insisted that he get to sing Kansas City. And they and he said, and, and Commander Cody said, no. So he quit. <laughs> And then later on in another interview, he was talking about somebody asked him this before, right before he died if he ever sees any of the old guys in the band. He starts talking about it. And he says, Yeah, I don't ever see the creeper much. I think he stole a bag from the old commander. <laughs> like uh, like his uh, socks and his, his suitcase. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, anyway, uh, they get it. The, 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 I forget the name of the steel player who replaces them, but he's fantastic. But this guy is great. You know, uh -huh. this guy really fit fit what they were doing really well. So it's yeah. Anyway, well, that's too bad. I, I wish everybody could end up as happy as the Moody Blues do. The uh, one one final note because this just adds some levity to this. In '73, they were actually invited to play the country music country and western music convention in nashville <laughs> and we're booed off the stage people yelling get a haircut find a rock take concert a take yeah. a shower all of that stuff Jeez. you know and uh and as and, and then that following year they 
recorded their crown achievement by which many people think, which is that live album that was recorded at the Armadillo called Live Deep from the Heart of Texas. Yeah. That's considered a classic, classic live album. In fact, Rolling Stone named it the one of the best 100 albums of all time. I've got that album. Yeah. And so, well, anyway. I need to get that one. I feel like it's I, a very good. I get my Austin card taken away from me. Yeah. Well, I got a question before we go and start doing the reviews, Tony. Yeah. This album does not get generous reviews from the usual suspects. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't answer that question as to why. Um, do you have any theory on that? <sighs> uh, you, you know, it's that whole critic thing. I think that probably. One of the issues is there's what we've talked about over the last two songs is there's a bit of a discrepancy between what they sounded like live and what they were able to put down in a studio. And I think people don't give this album, they don't take it out of that context of these other live albums. Because they did several live albums. I don't think they take it out of that context. So they just look at it in the context of what Commander Cody and, and his Lost Planet Airmen did. That's the only thing I can think about. I think this album's fantastic. I don't understand why it doesn't. You're right. I saw like a three-star review, a two-and-a-half-star review. Yeah, I, think... I don't get that at all. No. I think we're probably dealing with East Coast snobs. Anytime I don't like something, I blame it on the East Coast. Well, maybe so. And maybe this was at that weird period between the dead doing their thing and the Eagles and all that's coming on board, which, you know, I haven't seen it, but I'm guessing that first Eagles album got all sorts of bizarre praise. Um, You know, maybe that that lull where critics were just not... It was coming into that country rock thing where, I mean, you did have Graham Parsons... I could understand them getting it wrong initially. Yeah. Yeah. But not like going they do back. all the time. Yeah. But in retrospect, I, yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it either. Well, again, this band was por- important enough before they even had a record deal to get an article in Rolling Stone. So people, some people liked them. Yeah. Well, and they were, I mean, they were eggheads. I mean, look at all the. <laughs> uh, Chi Chi went to, eventually became the uh, head of. Um, he went to a real smart people school. He got a PhD. He was head of the department of uh, mechanical aerospace and nuclear engineering at Rensselaer um, in Troy, New York, and that's like a big ed. If if you're in if if you got a degree in computer science from Rensselaer, you're you got you got yourself a golden ticket. Well, I guess he was an airman after all. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So these these guys were not just dope blowing idiots. They were <laughs> they were dope blowing geniuses. They were, yeah. All right. Well, that was a good one, Tony. I'm, that was a nice respite from some of the things that surround it. <laughs> it was nice to have some levity. It was nice to hear some boogie woogie and some American uh, uh, noises. This was one of those albums that was hard not to. It was hard to not listen to when I knew we were. I, you know, there's occasional albums we do where it's difficult to stop listening to them when you know you got to move on to something else. This is one of the few albums. Bob Wills is the other ones where uh, James can testify to this. When I would put music on for the background to something at the camp where we grow, grew up at, it'd be Bob Wills, because 
you don't have to concentrate, right. and you're going to be in a great mood yeah. as yeah. long as that's playing. And that music would just put everybody in a fine mood, and we'd listen to it for a whole afternoon. Yeah. And this is exactly that kind of music. Um, really enjoyable. Uh, you know, the now, one there's some other bands that aren't that way. The the one thing we didn't uh, just just again just to talk about this one thing we didn't we talked about all the different singers but we didn't mention how they pick they sing lead on the perfect songs for them yep you know yeah. even the George Frank Commander Cody song that's a per, he's not that great of a singer and that's a and Hot Rod I, Lincoln's a perfect a song for him perfect to sing. talking deal for yeah. him anyway just perfect. a good good well they idea. all have very distinct. Yeah, voices. they match the genres they chose perfectly. Yep. perfectly. It's very interesting to have so many singers in one band. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of interesting, I'm going to turn to my good friend, the uh, infinitely humble Jonathan J. M. Rowe. Oh, thank you. I'm going to ask you for a uh, review or a rating. And you know, I'm not just going to ask you for one, J. M. I want your personal rating, and I want your critical, cold-hearted rating. And both go to five. Is that correct? Yeah. One to five. All right. Well, um, I'm going to go with my personal rating first because, Tony, I want to thank you for yeah. introducing You're this welcome. album to me. This was one of the best uh, discoveries I've had in probably, you know, several years. It, it's just, it was just a, a joy to listen to, and I absolutely loved every minute of it. Uh, it's country, it's rockabilly, uh, rockabilly, rockabilly. What did I, That's I how wrote, you say I, that, rockabilly. Well, I saw rockabilly. Uh, rock a diesel. <laughs> what I wrote down. Uh, and it's got some great boogie woogie. Um, I just absolutely loved it. And I, I uh, will definitely listen to this album again. I'm going to give it a. I can't really flaw it. I, I don't know why I'm going to dock it 0.2, but I'm going to give it a 4.8. It is a fantastic album. I will listen to it again. It will be in my ro regular rotation. Um, my critic rating uh, is a 4.5. And again, I, I, it, it's, I can't really explain why I would dock it 0.5, but I can kind of see that given everything else that was going on at the time, uh, you know, that maybe the production value isn't so great, but other than that, I mean, I just, this is almost a flawless album and it was so fun to listen to. So again, I, I appreciate it very much, Tony. My pleasure. All right. I'm going to go next because that's what everybody's listening for anyway. Um, please don't turn off after I go. Please wait to hear what Tony has to say. I'm going to give it a critic's rating of four or five, and I'm going to give it a personal rating of four or seven. Uh, this is a fun album. If uh, you hate fun, stay away from this album. <laughs> but everybody else is going to like it. All right. Tony? Yeah. Boogie Woogie Tony, we have to change your name tonight. No hand claps. Oh, you want my rating? I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right, Tony. Yep. That's what we do at this point. Tony's show. horribly entertained with himself right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lost in the ozone again. Uh, I agree with JM. I I I don't I don't 
I mean, I know why I wouldn't give it a five. Um, for one thing, I think that is reserved for certain albums. It is odd that I'm giving this a four eight. It's the same thing I gave Transformer, which more than meets the eye, <laughs> which is shocking to me. Um, I think a four eight is a perfect personal rating for this. There are a couple of songs that don't grab me as well as some of the other songs do. Um, you know, uh, they, they, I don't hate anything on the song. I don't dislike anything on this album. I, I don't want to skip anything, but there are times I'm like, ah, oh, I wish I, that song prior to this was playing or something. Um, but I will say, and this is the genius of these, the songs on this album is give me 30 seconds with the song and I'm, I'm into it. I'm, yeah. I'm fine. So I think four, eight, they do per, grab you. They do grab you. That. I think four or five is good for a critic rating too. Uh, there are, the three live tracks at the end uh i agree with doug they make you wish you were there live and i don't think they quite capture what they're trying to do they're fun to listen to um but uh it just you know the, those those three tracks seem like i don't know i don't think they could have done better in the studio i don't know maybe if, if doing them live was the was probably the best thing to do, but they just they they sound, sonically are just lacking in a little bit of something for me um, but, uh, so I would, I would give it a four or five. That being said, this is an album I will listen to and have listened to a lot. Uh, this is a band I wish I could have seen live. I wish I could have, this is one of those bands where you're like, I wish I could have been there for that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Definitely. And, uh, and there's great performances that we'll put on the old webpage, uh, that we can get of them. But, uh, yeah, this is, uh, again, a reason why this band closed down the Armadillo uh, yeah. is because they, they, while they weren't from Austin, they this music em- embodies the heart yeah, and soul they, of they, what this they city, captured that spirit. city was like at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And, unfortunately, uh, Commander Cody passed away recently. I think last year. Yeah. yeah. Early, late last year. Yeah, we yeah. posted it on the Facebook page. I know that. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we're going to. Go to uh, Tony because, you know, when we're trying to find out what's hip and cool out there, we always go to Tony. And the, the, I don't know if this this meets it. So, um, when I moved back to Austin in 99, um, my wife and I spent a lot of time at a restaurant that's no longer around called Hovita's. Um, and uh, we would go Tuesday nights to see Don Walser play who was known as the Pavarotti of the Plains. Amazing voice, great yep. country singer. On Thursday nights, however, they would have a band called the Cornell Herd Band. And I think to the extent that there's anything in modern Austin that's close to what Commander Cody represents, it's the Cornell Herd Band. This is a band who... Cornell Herd surrounds himself with musicians that are top-notch, some of the best guy swing western swing musicians in austin have played with him his voice leaves a little bit to be desired but the songs that the originals they do are full of sense they have a sense of humor to them they're great this great swing they're probably a little bit more traditional western swing honky tonk they don't branch out as much into the boogie stuff but they do do that so i'm going to recommend a lot of his albums are hard to find but i'm going to recommend one that came out in 2011 called Big State Long Road. And uh, JM will like this because there's a song on it called I Got a Woman in San Angelo. (laughs) 
I think I'm about to buy that record. <laughs> yeah, and then, <laughs> yep. and then uh, another song on it called "I Don't Care What You I Don't Care What It Is That You Did When You Lived in Fort Worth." <laughs> well, I ain't afraid of loving you, baby. I've been lonely too long to get hurt. I don't care what it is that you did. So yeah, you know, sense of humor, Western swing, like I said, a little bit more, uh, less, um, a little more down the straight Western yeah, swing. Yeah, a little less variety, if you will, although they do do that live. Um, they, these guys still play around. At one point, uh, this band had, uh, a guitarist named Paul Skelton in it, who was fantastic. They had a washboard player by the name of Danny Roy Young, who was the unofficial mayor of South Austin. And one of my dad's best friends. Yeah, I think JM actually worked for the man. I did work for the man. He was a wonderful human. At the sandwich shop? At the sandwich shop. (laughs) Young's Texacali Grill. Uh, He was uh, a fantastic, yep, fantastic human being. One of the sweetest guys you could ever meet. Anyway, Highly recommend checking out, even if you don't get that particular album, check out the Cornell Herd Band. Get get what you can from them. They, they're they uh, deserving of a little bit more wide listening. So there you go. Well, thank you there, Tony. And thanks to all you Tapsters for listening to us tonight. We really appreciate it. It's been great sharing an album with you guys that we really like and hope you uh can appreciate it as well. Please be sure and let us know what you think of this episode on our fantastic website, tappingvinyl.com. It has all sorts of good stuff up there um, related to past episodes and this episode as well. You can also leave us a tweet at Tapping Vinyl. Or you can leave us a message on our Facebook group page. And, of course, we're old school. You can email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. Next week, we're going to be looking at an album by one of the premier musicians, poet laureates of (laughs) Canada. Leonard Cohen, his album. I'm coming to reward them. First, we take Manhattan. Then we take Berlin. I'm guided by a. So far, our host, Doug Cooper. Our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Vinyl Tap for all the podcasts go to 11. And please, may you never be down 
to seeds and stems. Then we take Berlin. <laughs>